Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook with Brent Pasqua, Matthew Thiel, and Joshua Winterswijk from RPA Wealth Management. In this podcast, we cover current events, retirement planning strategies, and provide you with the tools to help you build a successful retirement playbook in any political or financial landscape. Join Brent, Matthew, and Joshua as they navigate the issues that can make the later stages of your retirement plan challenging and help you create the best retirement plan playbook. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome back and welcome to Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm Brent Pasqua here with Matthew and Joshua. And we're ready to get started. Today we're going to be talking about uh, what is a financial advisor that considers himself a fiduciary. And there's been a lot of discussion about fiduciaries and there's a lot of questions about what an actual fiduciary is. So we're going to open that discussion up today and hopefully help people understand a little bit better about what that actually means. But as we kind of kick this off, been curious about what you guys are spending money on this summer. So I've been spending money on vacation. I went on two. I know I talked about them on previous podcasts, but then I recently started buying new work clothes and I, I hadn't bought work clothes since probably 2017, 2018. And you know, my waist has grown a little bit, so I needed to size up, but also a lot of my clothes are old. So all my money's been going there. Thankfully, there's some been some good sales on clothes because I guess people don't want them anymore. So I've been able to pick stuff up on sale. I have been spending more money on groceries, actually. Just staying home more, have a baby at home, not going out as much. And I feel like my grocery bill is just like really skyrocketed. I hear that from everybody right now. And I don't know if it's a combination, you know, everyone's talking about inflation, but also just, again, cooking more home meals just because of kind of my situation, you know. Staying home more with the baby, stuff like that. But it seems like that's where a lot of my additional money being spent monthly over the last few months has been going. It's inflation. I mean, we've done, what, four or five podcasts talking about inflation this year? That's just the cost of doing business these days. Even my butcher box went up. Yeah, it's all going up. Yeah, and and I, I'm hearing that, and I think what's happening is not only people are just knowing that inflation there and cost of food is going up, but now they're even more aware and they are more aware of how much more expensive it is. And it's a lot. That's a ton. Okay, so let's get into the hot take headlines today. The Federal Reserve raised interest rates again by 0.75% or 75 basis points. This brings the Fed fund rate to 2.5%. Just any thoughts on where this is at? Yeah, the actual big story is what Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, said on Thursday morning. And he said, while another unusual large increase of 75 basis points could be appropriate at our next meeting. That is the decision that will depend on the data we get between now and then. And that's pretty much why the markets have been off to the races. It was what they call a dovish signal. And it pretty much means that they're just going to watch the economic data and adjust accordingly going forward. And there's a good chance the rate hikes might be done if the economy gets weaker this summer. And which is different than what they were doing before, which they were kind of forward guidance or forecasting the rate increases. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they were pretty aggressive rate increases. Were they able to break inflation? Time will tell. Um, They might have to come back and be a little bit more aggressive, but the market's off to the races with this news. So based on where we are right now, if they were to do another increase, do we know approximately when that would be? 
the next meeting's in September. So it would be then, and it'd probably be another 75. But after that, I'd imagine they're for sure done. Made a lot of people happy. Yeah. Made my portfolio happy. (laughs) The U.S. economic growth declined in the second quarter at an annualized rate of 9%. And GDP in the first quarter decreased by 1.6%. That's two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. I think this is something we constantly keep kind of hammering about, but does this mean that we're finally in a recession? I mean, that's what I was taught in my economics textbook. Interestingly enough, though, the administration's trying to change the definition of a recession. I don't know why they just don't step up and own it. Um, And funny, I was doing some research, and the same thing happened in the 1970s with Jimmy Carter's administration. I know Biden's often compared to the Jimmy Carter administration, but they didn't like the word of recession, and so much so that they kind of like were like, oh, you can't use the word. And so they started replacing the word recession with bananas. So we're in a bananas economy right now. I read this story too. You sent it to me. It just made me laugh while I was reading it. No more recession. It's just called banana going forward. So uh, are we in the banana right now? (laughs) We're in a banana. From my economic textbooks as well, Matt, I mean, that is the definition. I feel like even on the pod, we've been kind of going back and forth of like making excuses not to. Um, But yes, I mean, that's, that's the definition. So who's been, I know the administration has been trying to hold back from actually calling a recession, but from like a technical term, like who's been holding it back to this point? I mean, we're all the way through almost July. And like who's been holding it back from calling it a, a recession at the beginning of the month? I mean, most people have kind of seen the right on the wall. I mean, we first started talking about this back in February. Like we started warning our clients, hey, we're probably going to go into a recession. The, the numbers were there. It's just whether you want to admit it or not. And as far as economic data, it's always backward looking. So there's a good chance we might get out of this recession by sometime, you know, this summer, early fall, but we won't know it until Christmas time. And to answer your question too, I mean, we were really waiting for the data, official data to be released this week, even though we had forecasts and we kind of knew what that official data was released just this last week. So what organization like kind of rings the bell and says, okay, it's official. We're in a recession. Is that the administration? Is that Uh, who, who does that? That's a great question, Brent. It's called the NEBR. Uh, National Economic something something Bureau of Research, The Economists. Yeah, I have one more just real quick stat that we had looked up over the last ten years. The U.S. has had two or more consecutive quarters of negative real GDP growth. The economy was in a recession. You have to go back though to 1947 to find an exception. So. What this means is every other time we've had two quarters of negative GDP growth, it's been a recession. The only other exception was in 1947. You know what's actually interesting? That's a really good stat you have. But in 1947, that was two years after World War II and we're two years after COVID. So maybe, who knows, maybe we technically aren't in a recession. That's an interesting stat, though, because I know the economy was really weird after World War II, just like it is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Walmart. Uh, Walmart cut its quarterly and full-year profit guidance, saying inflation is causing shoppers to spend more on necessities such as food and less on items like clothing and electronics. Uh, Matt, what's your thoughts on the guidance that Walmart put out there? So I thought this was really interesting. At first, I was like, this is their inventory problem, right? Because last quarter, they had too much inventory like Target. They basically ordered the wrong things. 
But the more I dug into it, and then we kind of got confirmation a few days ago with what Best Buy said, that they were cutting their full year guidance. It seems like the low-end consumer is really weak, and that impacts Walmart's business. In fact, Chipotle even said during their conference call that the low-end consumer is really not going to Chipotle anymore, but their business is still strong because the majority of their consumers are high-end. And I know Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton had an excellent quarter as well. So it's kind of like that low-end consumer is starting to disappear from the market and the high-end consumer is keeping some brands afloat. And so what does this actually mean, I guess, when we look at the economy and like going forward? I think there's certain people that are struggling a lot more than other people. It's, it's pretty simple. If The cost of gasoline affects people who make less income. The cost of food affects people who make less income. But if you make a healthy income, you don't really notice it as much. You still have spending power. I think the Walmart also is using inflation a little bit as an excuse here. Uh, we've seen inventory kind of build over since the beginning of the year. And they've come out with this release before their earnings call. They're saying, you know, inflation has affected us this way. They see the inventory pile up. But then you look at a company like Dick's Sporting Goods and they're like, it's a healthy increase in inventory. We were so low. Like, we don't have a problem here. So, again, I think that it could be broken up in demographics of like which companies are being affected. But it's not overall affecting everybody. Um, And then what you're also seeing who's benefiting this is commercial storage space. Commercial storage space is up over 20% year over year. Because they're all storing their inventory. Yeah, and it wasn't an issue before, and now it is. And so you see, you know, very, very low vacancy rates all over, you know, the U.S. as far as storage space goes. High inventory is a classic sign of a recession. So just FYI for the Biden administration. Yeah, but I think also what's weird about that is that inventory right now is low in some areas, and then inventory is building in others. Yeah, and is that, a, is that more of a, a company issue? Who is managing inventory the best way? So again, compare Walmart compared to Dick's Sporting Goods, two different issues there. Yep. And then you can already see, when we've talked about discounts, Matt, the inventory discounts, they're already here. We're seeing them, and I think that they'll continue. Can someone call the CEO of Best Buy and ask him to discount the LG TV I want? <laughs> Send him an email. Yeah. <laughs> I'll buy it tomorrow if you discount it today. I'm in the store tomorrow if you discount it by 30%. We know if you're in for uh, outdoor furniture, though, you can get a pretty significant discount on that. I'm still waiting for that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm being very patient. I want the best deal. All right, let's get into the retirement planning corner. Today, we want to get into what an actual fiduciary is. It's a term that's loosely used in this industry, and... If you go around asking any advisor if they're a fiduciary, they probably are going to tell you yes, I would assume. But we want to clarify what it actually means to be a fiduciary, what that actual kind of word means, and help give you a better idea of what a fiduciary really does and and kind of help you navigate through that. So let's start off with the most basic and simple question about it. And what does fiduciary actually mean? Great question, Brent. A fiduciary is a person or organization that acts on behalf of another person or persons, putting their client's interest ahead of their own, with the duty to preserve good faith and trust. Also, being a fiduciary thus requires being bound both legally and ethically to act on others' best interest. So you have to put the best interests of your client ahead of your own. Absolutely. And the biggest pro 
is the advisor, again, like you said, will put their personal gain above their clients. So basically, when you ask somebody if they're a fiduciary, you're asking them if they're putting their interest ahead of your own or vice versa. Do you feel like some advisors like lie? Like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a fiduciary. That's like, no, nah, I don't know if you are. Well, maybe they're told that they're a fiduciary. Or they don't understand. They need to listen to the podcast. Well, that, that, that's true. <laughs> that's true, too. So what would it take for somebody to ask an advisor that if they're a fiduciary for them to say no? Well, I mean, if they're really honest and they're like, oh, no, I follow the suitability standard, which we're going to talk about next, but I don't know. So what is that suitability standard? Yeah, so the suitability standard basically says that the investment just needs to be suitable for the client. It doesn't have to be in their best interest, just suitable. And the standard's typically followed by insurance agents and stockbrokers. Um, for instance, you know, let's take a simple example, like someone getting sold Tesla stock who is, you know, 65. It is a suitable investment for some 65-year-olds, but it might not be in the best interest of another 65-year-old. So that's kind of like where the gray area lies. It's, uh, I always use the example, it's like buying a suit. You know, the suit salesman can sell you a suit your size, but a fiduciary actually makes sure it looks good on you. I like that, Josh. So basically, this all comes down to money? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it does, Brent. So how do financial advisors then get paid? Another great question here. There are basically three ways in which financial advisors are compensated. The first one is through a commission-based model. So a product sold, the advisor receives a commission for selling that actual product. Then there's also the second way to get paid as an advisor is through a commission and fee model. So it's a combination of both being charged a fee to the client, I'm um, receiving that fee from the client, and also the commission base. And then the last one is the fee-only model. This model minimizes the conflicts and ensures that the financial planner acts as a fiduciary. If I'm an advisor, I'm going to pick option two. It's like the best of both worlds, right? Because you could say you're a fiduciary, but you could also make commission on the side. So it's like you could change the seat you're in. So one second you could be acting as a fiduciary and the next second you could be like, actually, I'm going to go with suitability standard now, make some money. That's confusing. It's very confusing, but I think that's how a lot of consumers get duped. And then you don't have to actually change chairs. Like you could stay in the same chair and do that. It'd be funny if they made them change chairs. Like if one chair said fiduciary on the back and the other said suitability on the back and then the advisor's like, oh, hold on, I got to move to my other chair. Or change their outfit. Yeah, like put a different jacket on. <laughs> because I think they're technically supposed to have two different business cards, right? Like one's your suitable business card, one's your fiduciary business card. Right, right. You are actually. You're 100% correct. When I think of that model too, I think of like the big banks. Yes, me too. Yeah, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley. Yep. That's where your money's at. Your, your guy's definitely doing a little bit of both. You know, I got two accounts for you. <laughs> one commission-based, one fee-based, but they're both great. Yeah. Let, let me clarify to you what commission actually means because when you do, let, let's say your, your advisor's recommending you do something like purchase some type of annuity or insurance product or mutual fund. When you buy that, when your money goes into it, the advisor's paid a commission for that if they're under that commission model. So there's a lump sum payment that's given to the advisor in exchange for you purchasing that product. So the advisor can pick, and not all products have the same commission, so the advisor can pick whatever product they want you to go in and recommend that to you, 
and they can pick the one that potentially has the highest commission because that's what actually pays the advisor the most. Yeah, and it's just not transparent. I think a good example that a lot of people can understand is like when you buy life insurance or when you buy like really a lot of insurances, right? Even like your property and casualty, like the agent actually gets paid commission through the premium of the product. Um, and that's the same way with the investments and, and the insurance. I just think that commission plus fee model, you shouldn't be allowed to do it. It should be, I'm either commission only or I'm fee only. And those are the only two sides. Because some people might like the commission idea. They might, hey, that's kind of cool. So let me give you an example of how that would actually visually look. So let's say you have $200,000. And the advisor says, okay, I want you to put your $100,000 here. And here meaning that you're going to put your money into it. And it's going to pay the advisor a commission. So let's say it's 6%. The advisor is going to get paid $6,000. And then he says, okay, now put your other $100,000 into this portfolio and we're going to charge, let's just say, 1.5% advisory fee on this ongoing. And that's going to pay the advisor potentially $1,500 a year plus or minus market fluctuation. And so he now has money right up front, but then he also has money that's reoccurring and ongoing. So you have commission up front and fee ongoing is sort of how that works, that model works. Win-win for the advisor. Yeah, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. It should be one or the other. Like You have to be fully commission or fully fee only. When I'm in charge of the SEC, I'm going to pass that goal. <laughs> we'll so, campaign for you, Matt. So, but fee only and fee models are really kind of two different things, right? Fee model doesn't, if you're doing commission and the fee model, you're not fee only. You're selling product and charging a fee to manage assets. And I think uh, it's important because a lot of investment firms call it fee-based. So that it sounds like fee-only, correct? but it's the blend, like Matt, you've been talking about, of both charging commissions and fees, but they call it fee-based. And I think it's kind of a little bit misleading and not transparent. So here, here's what you probably need to clarify. Are you a fiduciary and then are you fee-based, fee-only, or commission? Then you can really determine which one the advisor is. I'm just sitting back and listening to this and... I'm confused. So consumers <laughs> must get really confused because it's not easy. It's not clear. And there's so many ways you could trick people with words. And, you know, most people who are listening to this podcast are probably like, oh, I'm already lost. What's the best solution? Right. And the reason why this is so important is because your outcome and how well your investments potentially perform and what you do later in life is impacted based on the recommendations your advisor gives and so if you're being put into products that are either not suitable for you or not beneficial for you, but pays the advisor a lot of money, down the road, your life is going to be impacted. And so it's very important to understand what you're getting involved into as you kind of approach any of these decisions. So with that being said, do we even go through what a fee-only is, a fee-only model is? No, we haven't really clearly explained that. But in my opinion, fee-only is the only type of advisor who's actually a fiduciary. And what fee-only means is that the, the advisor is only compensated by the client. There's no compensation for any other sources. There's no referral fees. There's no commission. The client pays the advisor. They either write them a check or they get their fee deducted from their investment management account with an invoice. That's the only true fiduciary. 
And I think really what that does is it removes those conflicts of interest. Brent, you touched on that. Removing those conflicts of interest will allow the advisor and the client to not only build a great relationship, but give those best recommendations without any other conflicts. And the advisor is also in that model feeling the same thing the, the client's feeling. I mean, if the portfolio is going down, then the the advisory fee is going down with it and the portfolio is going up and you're having good market returns, then yes, the fee is going to get more as the account grows. And I think for most people would rather see their account grow and they're willing to pay a little bit more to have their account grow. I mean, you're, you're impacted by your performance and results. You know who a true fiduciary is? I don't like these types of people, but lawyers, lawyers are true fiduciaries. You know, your cost up front, you know, the retainers, $2,000, $5,000. I would, can't, yeah, if, I would say not always, but. If you can't afford the retainer, then they put you on contingency. And essentially what that means is, you know, say your your case wins a million dollars, they'll get 10% of it. And, and you know that when you sign the agreement with the lawyer, that's the same as with a financial advisor who's fee only. You know your costs, you see your invoice, you know what you're signing up for. When you're working with someone who's fee-based or commission-based, you don't know your cost. Yeah, I'd like to have some lawyers on here and we can have that open discussion. About how they're paid? No, just about what what their industry is on fiduciary and are all lawyers fiduciaries and so forth. I think technically they're supposed to be, right? Yeah, they, yes. yeah they are. Yeah. All right, so what types of advisors are not fiduciary? Ooh, got a got a bunch of good examples here. Insurance agents, uh, that's just the one that pops right into my mind. Anyone that, you know, gives you advice at the bank, we talked about that. You walk into the, the big banks and, and they're fee-based so they can sell both sides. Normal just investment consultants, a lot of times these are the investment consultants you walk in and see at like the retail, Schwab, Fidelity. That's a good one. You know, those not, maybe not, or most likely not held to that fiduciary standard. Brokers, uh, we know the stockbroker model. We know who they are. Um, they're trying to sell you that mutual fund with the biggest commission. And then also, uh, you know, just the car salesmen, right? Those salesmen that come and they'll sell you whatever you need for the highest commission. You probably add the solar guy, guy coming to your house trying to sell you solar. He's really probably not looking out to you. Probably trying to sell you the most expensive system possible. And they tell you it's forty thousand, but you end up only paying twenty five. Yeah, you after, negotiated down after government credits <laughs> and all this other stuff. That sounds like something you would purchase, Matt. Solar? Yeah, just getting upsold on starting at twenty thousand, and all of a sudden you got a forty five thousand dollar <laughs> roof. No, I'm not interested in solar until you could properly store the electricity for a couple of days on a battery. So what you're telling me about who is not a fiduciary could be somebody that is fee based but they're an insurance agent so that part of the time they're sitting with you as an insurance agent, they're really not a fiduciary. And then the other part that they're sitting with you, they're kind of a fiduciary maybe. Yeah. It's like half their job. They're doing the right thing. And the other half they're doing the wrong thing. or could do the wrong thing. They, no, they're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to come out and say it. <laughs> I'll play both sides of this, I guess today <laughs> I'm sitting in the middle. <laughs> so what is a fee only advisor? Yeah, so there's someone who's going to make zero commissions from any of their recommendations. If they tell the client, you know, you should purchase this mutual fund, they're not getting compensated for that. 
unless it's agreed upon in the client in the contract with their client and the client's going to compensate them. They're not getting compensated by Vanguard or American funds or Schwab or TD or JP Morgan or even an insurance company. There's no payment. Just the client pays them. That's it. It's very simple. So if you wanted to work with a fee only advisor, where would you find them? And like, what's the best approach to get one? Yeah, there's actually a couple of good associations out there that hold their advisors, if you're a part of the association, to that fiduciary standard. So NAFA is one. You can go to their website and you can also search for advisors in your local area. Fee-only network um, is another. And then also the CFP board, so cfp.net. Um, you're able to search out um, advisors, get a little bit of insight of who they are. And you know, to give an example of one of the organizations like NAFA, they actually require their advisors to go through a qualification process on their fee-only structure and making sure that they're not accepting any commissions for their work. So it kind of takes that standard above and beyond because they're actually holding the whole company liable for, for making sure they're calling themselves fee-only and doing the right thing. So I think, I guess the next question probably a lot of people want to know is, what are we? We're fee-only. We only get compensated if our client agrees to compensate us, and it's pretty straightforward. They could play a financial planning fee, they could play an hourly fee, or they can play an investment management fee. And yeah, and I think that's important too because when I started in the business, I wasn't fee only, and it wasn't until many years of being in the business that it took me to really figure out what was and how to work in the client's best interest. I always at heart wanted to do what was in the client's best interest, but I think after you work so long in an in industry, you can start to figure out what really is best practice and in the client's best interests. And although making a switch from being like a fee-based model, which I was previously, to a fee-only model from a compensation standpoint or a monetary standpoint, that was not a smart business decision. Like, I mean, that's completely, like many people aren't going to make that decision because you can see commissions in this industry are, tremendous but the industry has also evolved over the last five to seven years where there's so many better products out there for clients to fit their needs that don't pay a commission that if you but gave the client that same product with a commission it's going to be either more expensive or give the client less return and to me that was never going to be in the best interest of the client and that's when we all here collectively decided to make that switch and be fee only. And that's purely 100% based on doing what's right for the client. That is the only reason to do that. I think that's why you also see so many. That's just great, great summary, Brent. And you can see, though, why so many advisors struggle to make that change. You know, because there's still not a lot of fee only advisors in America. I mean, what's this percentage of fee only advisors? Like less than 10%? Yeah, I'd imagine it's probably around five, that's if that. One of the main reasons is what you just explained, right? Like it's really hard to make that decision and give up revenue and money and you know to do what's right i just uh, stand by that and what you said great summary those um commission-based guys they don't want to get their porsches ferraris or teslas impounded so <laughs> they gotta they gotta keep the keep the money wheels going you know yeah i think we have a funny joke constantly that comes up in here from time to time especially in a time of inflation you know when you're going to the grocery store and you, it's cost you an extra 200 dollars, you're like well I, we could always go back to fee base <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's not do that no we're, we'll, we'll, we would never do that uh if someone is looking to hire a new advisor how do they look for that true fiduciary how do you kind of determine if they are the fiduciary if you know let's say you've gone on now for you started to try to sift through how do you know for sure 
Well, I would look them up on NAPFA or the Feeling Network. And if they don't have a profile there, that's a good starting spot that they're probably not a true fiduciary. Since like Josh said, they do have some tests and regulations to actually get on those websites. But the other thing is you could sit across from the person, look them in the eye and ask them how they get paid. And you could kind of find out how honest that advisor is. And if they say, well, I make, I get paid by the, this company for the, for the product, then, then you know they're fee-based. They're not a f- true fiduciary. Yeah, and if they're telling you they get paid by the company, I mean, how you don't know which company pays them what. You don't know which product is better than the other. So you're putting their trust in them that they're picking the best product for you that may not pay them the most. Yeah, I think that question is just great. Ask them how they get paid. Um, and the less transparency, the the less it's probably good for you. Yes. Yeah, if you, if you don't know exactly where every penny is going, then it's probably... Not very transparent. Before we close up, can we talk about one more thing? I want to talk about that being like a captive insurance agent or broker. So like if you're working with someone at Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, chances are in your portfolio, you're not going to get Vanguard funds. You're probably going to get Wells Fargo funds, JP Morgan funds, something like that. You're not going to get products. Yes. Proprietary products. You're not going to get the best. And that's the same on the insurance side. There's tons of different insurance companies all offering different rates. So if you're going with someone who, you know, only works with Jackson or TIAA, then you're only going to get that rate. That's what you're going to get. You're not going to get the whole market. Who you're working with is not independent. They work for one company and they're going to offer you only that company's products. Exactly. So that's why when you're looking at the investment advice industry, you definitely want to pick a firm that is independent. Right. Not to make things more challenging, but there's a lot of advisors that obviously that work for firms. They work for insurance companies and so forth. And compensation is built off also based on production. And so the more assets the advisor brings in and the more products they're sold, uh, the more they're compensated or bonuses become. And I think that's also one thing that's a reminder of, like we said in the beginning, this really for a lot of people comes down to money. Mm -hmm. Totally. So that was a little bit heavy. (laughs) So let's lighten it up. Uh, Let's talk about RPA recommends. Uh, Does anybody have anything interesting to recommend today? I'll start. In the beginning of the show, we talked about kind of what we've been spending our money on or kind of what's increased. And and I said groceries, cooking at home a little bit more. So with that, I also have been implementing some new recipes, looking for new recipes. I found a really good teriyaki sauce. They actually call it barbecue sauce. It's a Japanese barbecue sauce. Uh, They sell it at Whole Foods. I think they sell it at most grocery stores now, but it's called, and I don't, you know, let me know if I'm not pronouncing this correctly, but it's Bakken's. Matt, are you familiar with it? No, I'm not. But if you showed me the picture, I'm... I'm It has like a white label red cap. But they have like a hot and spicy one. They have like a regular one. And I've been marinating a bunch of meats in it and absolutely love it. I think they even sell it at Costco now. Um, But it's called Japanese barbecue sauce. I think it's pronounced Bakken's. But look that up. Spice up a a new dish. Really good. I love Japanese food. So I think that's a great recommend. It was interesting because when I first bought it, because I saw it, you know, it's been... Saw it at Costco. I've seen it even on like my social media and people using it. Some of like even the foodie people that I follow. And um, it says barbecue sauce, but it's it's really more of like a Japanese style, which is more like a teriyaki. So it's not like your traditional American barbecue sauce. So just a FYI there. I feel like some of the best food I've ever eaten is like Asian fusion food and oh, yeah. like that. And I throw it on everything. I've, I've thrown it on salmon. I've thrown it on steak, chicken. So all good. That's my recommends for today. Um, we haven't talked about golf for a while on here. Josh Brent, as you know, I'm not a good golfer. I I would say I'm average to below average. 
And being an average to below average golfer means you get to hit a lot of different golf balls because you're <laughs> probably misplacing your golf ball all over the course. <laughs> um, so I've tried every brand. And by far the best golf ball is Titleist Pro V1s or the Pro V1Xs. This is the first time I've heard you say this. Yeah, no, these are <laughs> incredible golf balls. It feels like you're hitting a rock and it just flies off your club face. There's a reason most of the tour pros play them. They're great golf balls. It's worth the extra $10 over the other balls that are on the market. I highly recommend everyone play Pro V1s or Pro V1Xs. Now, it's just being sarcastic. You've told me this a lot of times. I haven't made like the Titleist Pro V1 switch. I still like the ball I'm using, but eventually I will have to try them out. When you, I was so mad at myself for waiting so long, <laughs> but I guess I had to play every ball and lose every other brand. That's just a lot of money when you're losing a lot of balls. It is, but it's helped my game a lot. I mean, I think I probably got an extra 5, 10 yards on my drive. This is just rockets off my club face. <laughs> All right, I want to pay a little more attention next time we play the team. Maybe we'll have ball to, flight. Maybe we'll have to get you a box, Josh, and then just switch you over and convert you. I don't know. I I just want to so hold on. Let me let me see Matt play next time. I want to watch him a little more closely, and then we'll, we'll go from there. I, I don't think that's a good judge. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair to the golf ball. Yeah, watch somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> Titleist might have something to say about that. Uh, so one of my recommends, um, I want to talk about, we talked about obviously inflation, things are getting more expensive and that's hard on many people, but there are some upsides to small ones, but there are some upsides to inflation and that's that fixed online savings account rates are going up. And it's something we've touched on a lot during past podcasts, but now it's getting to a point where we're starting to look fairly decent on savings accounts rates. Now, again, I would check out, you can go to nerd wallet and kind of just run an estimate they have listed on their their page uh, the different savings account rates at different institutions but marcus live oak bank capital one discover american express all of their rates have been going up rapidly and with the big fed raising rates this week again big increases to the savings account rates i would consider checking them out because they are FDIC insured. A lot of them make sure to double check that on the ones you're looking at, but rates are looking very healthy again, plus one and a half percent now. Yeah. Great recommends. I think it's a, a good time right now to say if your money's still at like the bank and in a regular bank savings account with the low interest rate and you haven't seen that increase, it's like your trigger to, to go look for a new online savings account because those rates are going up. So great recommends. Yeah, it's basically $100 a month per 100000 you have in the bank. I know that sounds like a high dollar amount. We see a lot of clients and prospects who have 150 100 but just sitting around in a Bank of America savings account, moving online, it's an extra $100 a month. Yeah, and that rate's going up quickly. So, I mean, it makes sense to get in. That $100, two boxes of uh, Titleist Pro V1s. There you go. And one last thing on that, with technology nowadays being so efficient, for you to sync a bank account, your your normal brick and mortar bank account with an online bank account and transferring back and forth. I mean, that stuff is so, and opening accounts. I mean, everything is just so much easier nowadays. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and if you don't know how to do it, ask your grandson or you could ask Josh like I did. <laughs> All right. So as advisors, we love helping people. That's why we do it. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. You can also download our ebook from our website. And if you'd like the show notes, please go to retirementplanplaybook.com. But as always, we appreciate you listening to the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Click the following button to be notified when new episodes become available. 
To get in touch with our team, call us at 909-296-7977 or visit our website at www.rpawealth.com to schedule a complimentary consultation. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RPA Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.